I, uh, I hope you guys don't have lunch plans because Chad gave me an hour time limit. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> you know, last time I spoke, it was my first time ever preaching up front. And um, I, uh, I went home just because I do kids ministry regularly. So when people take longer than expected in here, we don't know that over there. So we're like, what do we do with the kids? And so I was like, oh, I really honor time. But um, I went home and I was like, Lord, why did I go so long? <laughs> I could keep talking. And uh, he put on my heart right away. He like a f- just like lightning speed. He's like, well, he reminded me of when Paul preached too long that the guy was sitting in the window and then he fell down. <laughs> Pretty sure none of you fell asleep <laughs> last time, let alone we had to pray for you to come back to life. <laughs> So uh, open up with me to Titus 2, 11 and 12. That is our anchor text. All right, it says, uh, I'll just go ahead and read it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Um, Chad, last week, did an awesome message touching on that first bit, how the grace of God appeared, the appearing of the grace, the advent of it. And um, I get to the joy of going into the part, it's verse 12, which is teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So let's unpack this. Um, You know, like a diamond, if any of you, when you, you know, look at your wedding ring or whatever, you'll see how it, the luster of the different angles it's burned. It, it's called the fire to jewelers. jewelers. And um, those cuts are made spe- specifically with having to keep those angles in mind because if uh, diamonds are three-dimensional. If you don't cut it the right way, it's not going to let its light shine the way it should be. So the many facets uh, portray the diamond the w- in its most beautiful way. So grace... <laughs> Like many other concepts in the kingdom, like a diamond, it's, this is one of the facets of it, is that it trains us. So there's so many, so many goodies about grace, and it's so hard to define because it's such a big concept. But in specific, in how it trains us, it's that facet that we get to look at that helps bring the big picture together of the beauty that it holds. Um, and when, let's see, when we take apart this verse, we see teaching this word teaching is actually has in mind training like a parent, which literally means everything from teaching, encouragement, correction, and discipline. So um, the interesting thing, it's, it's, it's the realm in which we are to grow and develop. And what it makes me think of is a baby in the womb. So grace is like that place where we are developing. It's that place. And so the mystery, the miracle of the baby being formed in the womb. Like, can you imagine we uh, go up to someone's belly (laughs) and say, hey, baby, you're growing legs for some reason. One day you're going to walk with those. They don't have language. They can't comprehend that, right? Hey, baby, those eyes you're developing, they're going to see things. You're going to smell things. You're going to use that brain, and you're going to dream. You're going to use those arms. You're going to be athletic. You're going to think. You're going to do all these things, but in the womb, they don't, they don't comprehend that because they're just miraculously being formed. And us too, like, what's the point? What's, what's the point of this life in Christ? So what, what, what are we being formed into? What, it, what, 
Why do we do what we do? Why are we called Christians? You and I both know that there's tons of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, because they don't know how to define the term. Like if you're, if you're following something, you're, you're, in, you're walking out the teaching of it. So if you're not following the teachings of Jesus, you're not really a Christian, right? But what's the point of being Christ-like? So grace, that womb that we're being formed in, this Christ-likeness that's developing in us, is for two, like a baby's womb, another thing to come. It's for in the age to come. We too are developing Christ-likeness for what is to come. Do you guys see in the, this verse, um, back in uh, 2.12, it says, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Because <laughs> one, one day, too, we're going to be living out what it likes for all eternity, what Christ did in us here. Uh, when we are born again, we get to inherit Christ's DNA. <laughs> it's almost like he's rewired us for this longing and desire to know him, to, to encounter him. When we step outside of that, you guys know how, I don't know if you know, but there's times in my Christian walk where I've been on the fence, where I haven't been fully loving the Lord, but neither fully in the world. That's like the worst, most miserable place to be in. Because when I signed up to follow Jesus, my DNA was rewritten in such a way that I am meant to live for him. I am meant to find him regularly. I am meant to please him. And so um, in all of this, in all of this, this is what grace does for us. This is why grace teaches us. That pain that we feel when we miss him, that pain where we're like, I haven't been pressing into him. I haven't been finding him. That's a, that's a beautiful pain because it's reminding of you who you really are, which is the DNA of Jesus in you. It's that training. It's that, it's that let it have its work in you where it pushes you back to the place to go and find him. <clears throat> so with this in mind, this Christ-likeness, um, let's turn to James 1 and 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Doesn't that give you a different perspective? Keeping in mind that our goal here is Christ-likeness. <laughs> so when we encounter, I know sometimes you read that verse, you're like, count it all joy. Various kinds of trials. You know, when we think, sometimes we think trials, which, you know, absolutely, it's the big stuff. It's, you know, you get hit in life with um, some sort of sickness or some sort of terrible news or some sort of tragedy and those things, you know, trauma, it's like lightning hitting you. You just, how do you recover from something like that? And, um, and those are absolutely invitations to where we could go and find what the Lord has to bring to us in those times. But I, I love that it includes, it says various kinds, because it also includes the mundane. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just think that the boring doesn't matter, but actually I think life is probably mostly in the boring. <laughs> it's mostly in the day-to-day -day stuff. Just wake up, eat breakfast. You know, you got kids that got a ton of needs. <laughs> you got people texting. They have needs. Your job has average stresses. You have uh, whatever it is. It could be anything from me dragging, because I didn't sleep all night, so I drag by like 1, 2, and 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Is that anybody? Does anybody else do that? You don't sleep, and then by 2 o'clock, you're like, oh, I just... Don't even know what's coming out of my mouth. Do you guys? <laughs> so everybody here, that's me at least. I'm like a zombie at that time of the day. And then, um, or it could be, you know, my kids pressing my buttons. Mama, 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 mama. Some days mama is all day long. Mama, 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 mama. I'm like, what? 
<laughs> no more mamas. <laughs> so, you know, and in that, I get to consider it joy because if I just would embrace that it's actually causing me to love and be Christ-like, then it's having its work in me. This is how grace shapes us. This is how we're in that place where we're developing, when we just embrace the normal problems. You know, um, Chad had sent me this thing to read. It was by, what was his name, something Willard? And um, I loved it because he was like, anything that Jesus did was out of his practical daily life. You guys, the first 30 years of his life, he was a son. He was a brother. He was a carpenter. He did business as usual. He knew what it was like to be in a community of people. He was every bit as practical day-to-day mundane as we are. And then when he launched into his teaching ministry, he was teaching from a place of where he had grown and learned to take the mundane and this is how you live. This is what you do. Let me take after my way. I'll show you how to find the Father in all these things. Because he did everything like the Father had did, had done. And you know, it's funny because whether we sign up to love the Lord and know him more or not, life brings troubles no matter what. You just, that's part of this world. And it's the, the promise as believers that we get to now have is the fact that he gets to turn all these things for good. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about in Romans. He takes all these things. I love, I love that scripture. It's, um, sorry, did I just... <laughs> it's <laughs> the word is all things come together the word is synergial which is synergy and it's when you take things that could be independently of each other that are could be toxic or poisonous you put them together and it's it's uh table salt i know i didn't i forgot what the two ingredients are that make up table salt <laughs> but that's what i was thinking of like you could just plain he takes things that don't make sense and he puts it together into this beautiful thing and he's making something out of it and it's like I, I get to have that so anytime I I mess up or anytime something around me is wonky I get to go with confidence and say there's a reason you know <laughs> we hear people I hear, I hear people use that language all the time if they're not believers they don't get that same hope the hope is when you're putting your hope in Christ. It's not just, I hope that destiny will work out for me. No, no. The promise we get to inherit as we're in Jesus is he causes all those things to come together for us. So thank God he takes beauty and makes beauty from our ashes, huh? Because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know where we would be. I, don't, I, couldn't, I couldn't just do this false hope, like passivity, like, oh, it'll all work out, or, you know. It's obviously people can see right through that. <clears throat> denying. Let's take that uh, back to second, uh, Titus 2.12. It says denying. And it's grace puts ungodliness and worldly lust in our past. Now grace teaches us to renounce those things, not only to avoid them. Um, in that word denying, we are renouncing those things, those things of our old man. It makes me think of, it's no wonder why it says, uh, reckon yourself dead. <laughs> those old lusts, those, when those things arise, where we're, ooh, when temptations arise, it's, you're dead. <laughs> you're actually, you're dead to that. You're alive in Christ. And who is Christ? Christ is our righteousness. And so he in him has the longings and the life to be able to live out righteousness. So even when we're in that place where we're like, I don't even, I'm at this place where I don't even want to do good. I don't even know. And 
or I don't know, us being honest with him where we're at, and then finding him saying, God, I, I, my heart's not in the right place. We get to have him come and give us his heart, <laughs> which is his righteousness. I mean, he literally covers every area for us, every area of our brokenness, unbelief, in every area of our despair, if, if we're at this place where we're like, I just, our honesty is where I don't even know where we're at, I'm not even feeling anything, and we go and find him, he exchanges what we need for, for he gives us what we need, because he did it all for us. <laughs> he went through the depths and made the way for us. <sighs> it's beautiful. <laughs> so I love this verse, First Peter 1.13. It's therefore gird up, thank you, Justin, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One more time. Gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> Isn't that a funny phrase, gird up the loins? I know you guys, it's, it's like sh strapping yourself up and get ready. And it's strap yourself, your mind, get your mind ready. It's not passive. It's proactive. You got to actually do it. You can't just hope it comes to you. The, our part in it is we gird ourselves up. Get, God would often tell that to the warriors in the Bible. He would say, gird up yourselves. Get ready for battle. Because they would have to go fight. And even though he would fight for them, they had a little bit of a part to play, which was to show up. <laughs> and so our showing up now looks like getting our minds prepared and choosing to be sober. What does sober mean? Sober, clear-minded. Think clearly. What's, how do you become clear-minded? I mean, in a world that is so full of distractions and so full of, you know, tugs here and there and uh, anxiousness and, and the highs are high, really high, the lows are really low, how do you gird yourselves up? Well, the biggest way I could think of is come under the uh, alignment and government of the teaching of Jesus. <laughs> When you, when you start believing and doing what he says, when we encounter something that makes us anxious, he's, he, you know, we, we throw our anxieties upon him because he knows our needs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's practicing it. I think sometimes we will discount or discredit ourselves because th these things rise up in our life where we're like, I don't know what to do with it. It's like, well, well think clearly. That's your part. Choose to be clear-minded because God has given us truth, a foundation to stand on and to jump from. And it's what, it's what grounds us. <laughs> mm. Let me go to Hebrews 12, 1 and 7. So uh, with all of this, it's how do we do it? What's, what's, how can we apply this? What's the practical walking this out? These things sound great, but how do we walk into this? Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 7. So bear with me. Sometimes when you read, you get lost. <laughs> Just try to wrap your mind in this with me, guys. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and so it's denying, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Let's stop right there. What, I love this so much. So what made Jesus do what he did? <laughs> why, why was he so focused? I recently heard one speaker say that the, the definition of purity is actually single-minded. It's 
wholeheartedness. It's so focused. And I love that. It's probably one of my favorite qualities about Jesus. He was never distracted. The fear of man never threw him off. He never had anybody would try to question him or corner him. He was never up against a wall. <laughs> he was focused. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was doing all the time. And if there's any, I, that's like, oh, I need that. I want that. That's, when I go and I read his words, it's like, oh, I just give me that. I need that. I need the focus. I want your purity, Jesus. And so for the focus that was before him, the joy, what was that joy? It's grace. It's the covenant that he gets to bring to us. It's the communion that we get to have with him. He was so ready to endure whatever the cross was going to throw at him because of the joy set before him. It was his love. You know, we often hear a, a, a lover outworks a worker. <laughs> you know, when, when love is your motivation, you can do anything. You know, when, when, you're, when you think about and go, oh, like, I got to go change a diaper. Oh, you know, <laughs> or, uh, you know, whatever the needs are. I can't think of another one right now. But when we, <laughs> whatever it is where you go, but you go, oh, like, I love my kids. You know, I love my husband. He needs a, a, a tea because he's sick. Okay. <laughs> so, um, it, it's the love. It, Jesus was motivated by the love. And let's remember, what did he do? He despised the shame. And you think about it, what did he suffer? He suffered physical abuse. Do you remember he was spit at? He was punched. Oh my, the, the God of the universe allowed himself to be spit at. Oh, the God of the universe allowed himself to be punched in the face. He just took it. You know, he was, he was accused of wrongfully. How many times is it probably like nothing irks me when someone accuses of me of something, especially when it's way off. You're like, oh no, because it questions your character. So every bit of Jesus' character was questioned. And what else did he have to endure? He had to endure a whole bunch of people looking at him and judging him in his most vulnerable moment as he's carrying a cross naked down the street. Have you guys ever experienced that? Just being in a place where you're completely vulnerable and you're exposed? <laughs> this is what he despised. Do you know what that despised word means? It means to think nothing of. He just decided that it wasn't going to affect him because the joy and focus and love he had for what was to come, which was to bring unity with us, was what drove him. It's how focused he was. It's beautiful. You know, um, I put in here, I just want to read this. It says, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the definition of grace. He denied ungodliness and worldly lusts, and he lived soberly, righteously, and godly. What do we do? We set our attention to him. This is not a passive action. It's actually a deliberate pursuit. Okay. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. <laughs> he made a way for grace, guys. It says he is the definition of grace. It's grace appearing. Remember, grace appeared to all men. He denied ungodliness and worldly lust. He lived soberly, righteously, and godly. What do we do? What's our part? Knowing Jesus did what he did, we set our attention to him. That's it. We look at him. This is not a passive action. It's a deliberate pursuit. You know, um, in the application of this, one of the... Uh, 
is that quote up there? Can you go to that Dallas Willard quote for me? It says, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. <laughs> you know, because sometimes we get grace preached to us, and the legalistic mind wants to take it and be like, you got to do A, B, C, and D if you're in or you're out. If you're not doing A, B, C, D, and E, then you're not righteous. You're not who you say you are. Whereas uh, it's called antinomianism, which is the opposite. It's like, there's freedom. There's grace. I don't got to do anything. <laughs> there's always kind of two sides, but it's actually the same coin. It actually doesn't take into effect that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. <laughs> it's that simple. It's love motivated. And um, in this, that means that we don't earn this. Do you remember his divine his divine um, sovereignty chose us. Why did we have anything? Did we bring anything to the table? No, we didn't. <laughs> All of us, he just decided to pick us. I love it when he chose Abraham. Abraham was just a guy. Like when he was, oh, he, when he chose Noah, Noah was a righteous man. When he chose Job, he cho was a righteous man. But when he went to Abraham, it actually said that he was from the land of Chaldee. He was, uh, he was an idol worshiper. He just decided to choose Abraham because he's good. So for the sake that we get that same kind of decision, that same kind of, of, of inclusion, that he just decided to choose us. <laughs> and that's his goodness. And in that, we didn't earn it, right? But, like that quote says, it's, it's grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. And I love this. And I got to share this story with you guys. It's one of my tennis players. I, I texted her and asked if I could share it. She's like, yeah, go ahead, coach. <laughs> um, she's a senior this year. Her name is Anna. And um, this is to demonstrate effort. Um, she is four foot eleven, um, and she decided to make the most out of her senior year and joined the JV tennis team. <laughs> well, it was my first time coaching tennis this year, and I didn't have the heart to cut anybody. <laughs> so I had all these girls come out, and I'm like, I'll just work them really hard, and then they could just, you know, slowly fade away. So, <laughs> so. I had um, uh, 16 girls. I ended up, there were some, you know, that faded, but most of them stayed. And we c when we take vans on a way, I could take 12, but when we, I mean, I could take nine, but when we stay at home matches, I could only have 12 players. And, um, um, what was I going to say? Oh, um, in that, uh, Anna had complications with her physical, so she came a month late. And I had already been so speaking to my team like, oh, I'll keep you guys, but it's about effort. you got to work hard, and the only way you're going to play is if you make it into the match. So they had to challenge each other to be able to make it in the tennis match. So you got to bet that those girls that were on the bottom, because remember I could only take nine, only nine can play. Those girls on the bottom were so happy when someone missed practice because it meant they got a chance at the match, <laughs> especially if they weren't winning. And um, Anna texts me, and she goes, Coach, I finally got my physical in. Can I, uh, can I play for you still? I'm like, ah. Like, we're already a month into it. You, you wouldn't believe. Scott came. Thank you, Scott. You guys got to look at Scott. He came and helped me. He's a champion tennis coach. And to be honest with you, I love tennis. I play tennis. But coaching is a whole nother ball game. You just have to think about breaking down the fundamentals in a way you never thought before. <laughs> and, um, and there's things that I do that I don't know why I do them. You know, and my follow through or my steps. And a good coach knows those things. They know the science behind it. So um, Scott had came to help me. That was a tremendous help. Thank you, Scott. My girls ended up doing really well. They got second in league, which they've never won a tennis match before. Before that, I know that was the girls, but it was also the league change. <laughs> if you guys only knew how much I don't know, you wouldn't even think that I get any credit. <laughs> so, but it's good. It's okay. I'm learning. 
Um, anyway, back to the story. Anna um, asked if she could join. I, I, so I, I decided to send her this big text and go, I'm just going to scare her away. I'm like, okay, Anna, but you're at the bottom of my 16. You can't play. There's no guarantee that you're going to play in any of the matches. Uh, if you miss a practice, you don't get a chance to challenge anybody. Uh, are you sure you're up for that? She's like, texted back. She goes, yeah, I, I understand that. I, if anything else, I get a good workout during practice. <laughs> so it's like, okay. So I brought her in, and like I said, she's four foot 11. I don't know if you know tennis, but it's like most sports. If you're tall, you have an advantage. And um, she, she had footwork. She can move her foot feet really fast. And she used to wear Vans. So if, you, if you're wearing Vans playing tennis, it plops hard. So we used to laugh because you would always hear Anna playing tennis because it would be like. Because <laughs> she ran so fast. And what she would do is, I love this. This is so JV. This would never fly on varsity. But she, she, would, <laughs> when she, would, she would hustle harder than anybody to get that return on the ball. So her strategy was to just hit it, and it would go so high and bounce to the other side. <laughs> and then, because it went so high, it would bounce, and then it would bounce so high that it would hit the fence so the girls couldn't return it. <laughs> it was the best thing to watch. She was always positive, but what made her stand out was her effort. I had nobody try as hard as her. And as a coach, the most wasted thing you'll see is someone that's so talented and then has no maturity. They have no follow through. They think their talent's gonna take them somewhere. They think they're prima donnas, <laughs> you know? So you can do some fancy things, but you show up, don't show up to practice. You have an attitude and you don't give your all. Guess what? You're gonna play like you practice. <laughs> You know, and so I, I literally was like, Anna, I want a whole team of you because of your heart and your effort. <laughs> and um, she actually ended up making it into four matches. She won her double set. I know, I, I just, I love her. And it was that effort. And this is my, one of my favorite truths about the kingdom is in the kingdom, effort matters. Why? Because God looks at our hearts. So in a place where he knows what talents we have, he knows our limitations. You remember Moses? He's like, I can't, my, my mouth, I can't speak. I can't. He's like, I made your tongue. <laughs> he knows, he knows our limitations. He knows our weaknesses. But we're qualified if we're all in. <laughs> That's all it takes. If we just accept the fact that he does it, so we just do our part, which is to be wholehearted, you know? And so I don't know if you guys remember, but in that place, where when uh, Samuel was going to go find a king for Israel, do you remember the first thing he did was saw the oldest son, and he goes, oh yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> he is anointed, because he was tall and handsome. And uh, God's like, no, actually, I didn't choose that one. <laughs> yeah, let's go to this verse. This is uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7. God says, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. <laughs> that is such good news. Guys, we're so tempted to look at each other and see the grace on someone else's life. Like, oh, man, look at them. They can, they're so filled with wisdom and talent. They're so polished in that. I, I can never do what they do. But that's not how God sees it. <laughs> you know, or sometimes we disqualify ourselves in the sense like, oh, I, I, I'll press into him. 
I'll press into him when all my task list is checked off, when I get done with everything, when I'm through with everything, and then the day's done, and did you press into Jesus? You know, we think along these lines, we, we, we put limitations on ourselves, because why? We're looking at ourselves. <laughs> but God qualifies us when we go wholehearted. And the truth of the, the, if there's anything I want you guys to stick with you today, is do not believe the lie that it's someday you'll be wholehearted. You can be it right now, at any given moment. That's the beauty of this grace covenant is he made a way that we don't have to go through all the sacrifices. That veil was torn. So at any moment, in my head, it doesn't matter what my finances look like in that sense, in the circumstances, it doesn't matter if my kids are messing up. or it, I mean, it matters, but not in the sense as if it's going to block me from being wholehearted. The truth is, is our ducks aren't always, never going to all be in a row. <laughs> you know, maybe in, in your marriage, maybe you're like, when, when my spouse steps up, when when, when they start loving, then I can press in more. We think these things, or when my, when my job gets better and I'm making more money, which this is, we could be wholehearted in any sense. And then when we're wholehearted, God does what he does best, which is he's allowed to because we're, we're, that, we're that vessel that's shapeable, that's coachable because it's effort. I can't coach kids that don't give me effort. But I, if someone's all in, that wholeheartedness, that effort, they're coachable. <laughs> this is coachableness, coachableness, is that a word? This is being coachable in the kingdom, wholeheartedness. And anybody can do it, wherever you're at. <sighs> I think I'm going to end it there. <laughs> I just want to pray. I just want to give time for the Lord to just um, stir on your hearts. Um, let me just pray for a second. Let me hear uh, what the Father's saying. Um, Father, we, it is such a privilege to be your kid. It is such a privilege to be uh, in your sovereignty, in your divine choice. And we celebrate that this morning, that you just chose us not based on our track record. You chose us because you decided to lavish your love on us. And then you pursue us. And uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would confront that lie in, the, in, in our hearts and minds that says that it, it's based on what we do to you, because it's not. It's what you did for us. You enable us to love you, Lord. And um, uh, Father, I just pray, God, that this would just be a stirring on people's hearts and minds and an invitation for them to go and find you. You know, guys, Jesus said, it reminds me, you know, we're talking about the baby's womb, uh, the baby being formed in the womb. And do you remember David, as he was formed as a king, he was, where was he? Remember when they chose David? David was the chosen one. Um, he was a shepherd. He was in the place where, of, of, of obscurity. He was fighting battles that nobody saw. Do you remember? Why was he able to defeat David? Or David, the giant? Because <laughs> he goes, oh, I killed a lion and a bear to protect the sheep. <laughs> I would never go protect my sheep like that. I'd be like, see a sheep? <laughs> There's a lion here. That's nuts to me. <laughs> so in that, in the obscurity, where is God? I can't tell you how many times people, and I've thought myself, like, I can't find God. I can't find him. Guess what? Jesus tells us where he is. Matthew 6, 6. He's in the secret. He's in the secret place. <laughs> you want to find him? Go into your room, shut your door, and pour out your heart to him because he's there. It says he sees you in secret and he'll reward you for it. 
And so back to the prayer. Lord, um, I thank you that you're going to stir on us a, 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 a motivation to find you and seek you in a new season like we haven't before, Father. That this Advent month where we think about your coming and your birth and what you did for us and your focus and your love and attention for us, it would draw us to that place of love, of wanting to know you more, Lord. That would be our motivation to find you in the secret place, God. That would be what stirs upon us, what we can't shake it. And we, we'd come into that place where we're just lovesick. We just want to love God. We want to know him. We want to know what you're like, understand why you do what you do, think like you think, even though it's just unfathomable, really. But we thank you, God, that you're taking us to new places as a body and in this community. In Jesus' name, amen.